Hi, this is Jim Lobato, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. On tonight's program, we have Roy H. Williams, best-selling author and marketing consultant, a lifelong student of humanity. Roy H. Williams has spent a quarter of a century asking what makes people do the things they do. He's been using the things he's learned to stimulate miraculous growth for his small business clients for more than 25 years. Best known for his Wizard of Ads trilogy of books, which all became national bestsellers, Roy is the founder of Wizard Academy, a nonprofit institution dedicated to teaching the philosophies in his Wizard of Ad books. Tonight we're talking to Roy about his book he co-authored with Michael Drew, Pendulum, How Past Generations Shape Our Present and Predict Our Future. The book talks about how everything that touches our lives, politics, manners, humor, sexuality, wealth, even our definition of success, changes based on what society judges to be acceptable. Pendulum explains where we've been as a society, how we got here, and where we're headed. Roy, welcome to the program. Jim, it's always good to talk to you. You know, Roy, I was thinking having you on the program when I saw your book, Pendulum, because what intrigued me was, what's a marketing guy doing writing a book about really society and about history and about generations. So what drove you to take a look at Pendulum and how it affects society? Well, Jim, the first thing I think is is I've always had this strange perspective that there's really no such thing as B2B advertising, business to business. When people ask me, you know, how how do you adapt this this idea that you have uh, when you're doing B2B? And I said, there's no such thing as a B without a person in it. You're always dealing with people. And the processes that people use to make decisions and the things that attract their attention and the things that bore them, that doesn't really change whether they're at work or whether they're at home. It's uh, they're people. And so that's a very controversial position. And then when you start looking at, you know, what makes people change? If it's not being at home rather than work, what changes the way they look at the world? And you begin, you know, you ask yourself that question, and the years go by, and you kind of begin to realize, you know what, there's a pattern, and you kind of get curious. You notice a pattern, and you go, huh, how reliable is this? And I spent about a decade studying this, and then uh, we published the book. Well, so for our audience, give us the premise behind Pendulum. Uh, you frame it as, as me versus we. Now, the, the hardest choices in life are the choices between two good things. And when we talk about pendulum, we're talking about a set of values that society as a whole will use to decide what is good and what is not good, what is desirable and what's undesirable. And the me and the we are both equally good. And I'll describe in a second what those actually are. But we always take a thing too far. And so the me is all about self-expression, individuality, be your own thing, be your own person. You want to be the captain of the football team. You want to be the head cheerleader. You want to, you know, second place is the first loser. And that's the me cycle. Now, the we is working together for the common good. You don't need to be the captain of the team. You just want to be a productive member of the team. 
and it's my planet too. And, um, you know, we need to clean this place up and straighten out this mess. And so working together as a team, it's not about any individual, but it's about all of us collectively, um, that's the other side, the we. And so the me and the we are 40 years apart. And we have had 20 years up to the me, Zenith, 20 years down from the Zenith, 20 years up the other side to the we, Zenith, and then 20 years down back to where we began. So the whole round trip is 80 years, but there's 40 years between the two extremes. And so that 40-year pendulum swing has been going on for over 3,000 years. And throughout history, just to find out what happened, you always can know without even having to look up when it happened at what part of a 40-year cycle it would have happened. And so it's remarkably predictive. You mentioned in the book there are two uh, fulcrum dates, at least in modern history, 1963 and 2003. So explain those periods to our audience. Yeah, the, the people that are alive right now, when things are the most in balance, when, we're, when, when things are pretty healthy and society is excited and we're not horribly off in any kind of excess, that is when the pendulum is at the halfway point between the two extremes. In other words, the pendulum is, is hanging straight down. Now, the pendulum in 1963 was a tipping point into the, the me cycle. So 63 to 83 is the upswing of the me. Now, when we talk about the 60s, Jim, um, we're not really talking about 1960, 61, or 62. That was the tail end of the 50s. And 69 was the first year of the 70s. When we talk about the magic of the 60s, it's 63, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. The first six years after a tipping point is always magic. That's when people are adopting the new way of looking at the world. And so that's what was happening in the 60s, the me generation. It's all about be your own person, do your own thing, be completely unique, uh, be all that you can be. But then you get to 83, the zenith, 20 years later. We've taken a good thing too far, and that was the pinnacle year of Michael Jackson's career. At the zenith of the me, everybody's wearing costumes. Everybody's, you know, this is when Kiss was a big band. And, um, I mean, it's very phony. It's very plastic-coated. Now, politically, it's very interesting because the president at the zenith of the me was Ronald Reagan. Now, the previous zenith of the me was 80 years earlier, and the president was Teddy Roosevelt. We will always elect kind of a hee-haw, cowboy, individualist leader at the zenith of a me. We just always do. And we have for 3,000 years. Not necessarily elect a president, but we will always be attracted to leaders with those qualities. Well, then we came down. We called it Gen X. It was the deflation of the me. And then we got to 2003. That was an tipping point that you mentioned, Jim. In 2003, we began the we cycle. And we always invent a new technology. Well, we don't have to invent it. We popularize the technology when we move into a we that allows us to stay connected horizontally. Now, at the tipping point of the previous we, which was 1923, 80 years earlier than 2003, we popularized radio and allowed us to stay connected as a nation. 1923 is when radio began to be popularized over the next six years. We opened thousands of radio stations across America. This time, 2003, was what I call the year of the Internet's bar mitzvah. 
it became, it began to deliver what it promised 10 years earlier in 1993. In 2003, everything from Google and Wikipedia and Facebook, everything, Twitter, all the big, 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 big players online, for the most part, came into existence between 2003, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. That same six-year transitionary window, the Internet is the new technology that provides horizontal connectedness. Social media online. At the previous week, it was Franklin Delano Roosevelt with his fireside chats on radio. Today, freaking YouTube. Thanks for joining in on the conversation. Our guest is Roy Williams. We're talking about his book he co-authored with Michael Drew, Pendulum, How Past Generations Shape Our Present and Predict Our Future. Roy, thinking about these generational trends, what effect do they have on that small to medium-sized business owner? Okay. What it means specifically, Jim, is now is not the time to say we were voted the number one whatever. Um, when you thump your chest and you say we're bigger, we're number one, we're on top, and you try to hold yourself out to be different and special and good and that you should be admired for that, that is very much a me kind of statement and it's currently horribly out of fashion. Uh, self-deprecation, don't take yourself too seriously, be able to laugh at yourself is important today. And so anything that might even remotely sound like boasting or bragging, even if it's true, is horribly out of fashion and is very uh, off-putting. And so you want to, in a we cycle, like where we are right now, you have to support something that you believe in and support it openly, even if some people might disagree with it. You get more respect from people if you openly support something outside yourself, something that you just believe in, something that you think needs help or support or is worth doing to make the world a better place, even if they don't agree with what you've chosen, even if they're against what you've chosen. They will respect you for getting involved in something bigger than yourself and outside yourself. And so it is the time for social responsibility. The good news is is that everybody gets to pick what they believe is the most socially responsible use of their time, energy, and money. So, Roy, just listening to you, I'll use myself as an example. Uh, born in 1957, so my formative years in terms of education, in terms of getting involved in business, in terms of leading businesses, really happened in the me time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I can definitely relate to, I'm going to go get it done. It's all about me. If I have to succeed, I've got to figure it out. Let's push ahead. So for the people in the audience who may fit into that category that I'm in, in terms of their formative years in business and also their education, what are we going to struggle with now that we're in this we period? Well, self-obsession, in a word, Jim, when a person is advertising, uh, they have a tendency to say, I bought this airtime, I paid for this space in this magazine, you know, it's about me and I need to tell my story and what makes me different, special and better, and and it's all about me and my company and what we do that's better than everybody else. That's a very bad perspective. If you're going to speak to a we society, and trust me, we are deep into the we right now. It started in 2003. We're 10 years into a 20-year upswing. 
is going to get even more dramatic over the next 10 years. And what you got to do is this, Jim. You have to be able to say it's about the customer. It's not about me, my product, or my service. In a week, bad advertising is about you, your company, your product, your service. Good advertising is about the customer and how the thing that you do changes the world of the customer for the better, how it makes their life better. And so uh, it's what we call um, the we-we, is if you find I, we, me, my, in your ad copy, take it out. You don't want to say I, me, we, my, our. You want to say you and your. And if you change your ad copy from first person talking about yourself to second person talking about the reader, the listener, the viewer, it's about the customer. And it's, it's a different mind shift that it's like you want to talk to them about their life. And your product is something that's just available to make their life better, to their home better, their car cleaner, uh, whatever. But yet, um, in a me, we tend to shine the spotlight on ourselves. Today, it's time to shine the spotlight on the customer. Right. To give a reference point to our audience, who's doing that well today with their advertising? Do you remember um, just about the tipping point into the we cycle? Probably the first, what we call the alpha voices. One of them was the uh, Mac and PC ads, Okay. PC, if you remember, the little character in the brown suit, he was always wanting to strut his stuff and talk about, hey, I can do this, and I can do this, and I can do this, and blah, blah, blah. And Mac, um, in those TV ads, was always kind of like, well, okay, hey, dude, chill, you know. It's like, you know. And he never really said anything denigrating or damaging. Uh, he tried really hard to be friends with PC, but PC was always very... Um, you know, being a little bit pissy. And so PC was very much representing the me. He was very insecure and always wanting to strut his stuff and talk loud and draw a crowd and be special. Whereas Mac, he was always trying to make PC feel better about himself. Mac was never worried about uh, talking about, hey, I'm better than you and, you know, I'm taller and handsomer and whatever. Um, he was just kind of laid back, kind of, you know, relaxed, and he's willing to shine the spotlight on PC and try to make PC feel better about himself. That was a really interesting shift of perspective, and it was the first time we saw in advertising this thing about, where it's not about me, I'm more worried about everybody else than I am about me. I'm worried about my fellow man. I'm worried about my friend PC who seems to be having a bad day. That was the first time, and I think most people remember that, I think, Jim. Yeah. Very vivid, Ed, mainly because of the contrast you're talking about. So, mm-hmm. Roy, you mostly work with small to mid-sized businesses, and you have a phenomenal track record of helping these businesses grow. So I, I'm trying to translate this to the the local business and maybe sitting there with his shop trying to sell his goods. I mean, can he really go out and, and promote the homeless cause he's, that he likes or uh, the, the battered woman's shelter that he supports? I mean, at some point, doesn't he have to advertise and promote the fact that he's selling widgets? Yeah, but see, what I'm talking about is let's assume that you're going to advertise year-round, and every healthy business should figure out a way to advertise year-round. My first example of, of doing this 
was Richard Kessler of Kessler's Diamond Center in Milwaukee, and now he has locations in Madison and Appleton, Wisconsin. And Kessler, uh, about 2003, he was the very first client to understand what I was saying, and he was anxious to do it. And so he decided that a couple of times a year, he was going to sell this gold-plated American Beauty rose. And it's a 12-inch rose, plated in 24-karat gold, and you sell them for $70. And he, he would announce just, you know, for about one week, twice a year, so I have a 52-week radio schedule, only two weeks of the 52 is he talking about this particular product? And he would say, you know, here's what we're going to do. is We're going to donate $5 for every rose that is sold to the American Cancer Society, uh, earmarked for breast cancer research, and help give the gift of life. And so when you buy one of these roses for Mother's Day, or when you buy one of these roses for Christmas, um, you're helping give the gift of life. You know, this is a disease that we can beat. Now, here's what's interesting Jim, four years into this, at $5 a rose, the American Cancer Society invited Richard Kessler to their national banquet, and there were only two other people invited from the, from the state of Wisconsin. It was Northwest Mutual Life Insurance and the Green Bay Packers Organization. At $5 a rose, Kessler had given over a quarter of a million dollars. That is how much people responded to this idea of buy a gold-plated rose, and uh, $5 will be donated to the American Cancer Society for breast cancer research. And so, um, believe it or not, Tommy donated 5 bucks. He made a profit of more than 5 And so, even though he donated a quarter million dollars, he put another half million dollars in his pocket. And so, it's not that you're doing it completely selflessly. It's just that you're including in your media time, talking about somebody else other than just yourself. It doesn't have to be year-round, but it doesn't need to be occasionally. You pick breast cancer. Everybody gets to pick what they want. Roy, how does this apply to the business owner in terms of working with their employees then? Oh, wow. Um, You've seen it already. If you look back, about 2003, if employers had to become concerned about things like providing daycare. And the really um, cutting-edge companies are helping facilitate a really pleasant work environment with, uh, you know, picking up and helping off dry cleaning at work so that the staff doesn't have to leave work and, you know, burn up a bunch of their, their limited discretionary time dropping off dry cleaning and picking it up. And so the dry cleaner comes by the office once a week and gets everybody's dry cleaning and drops it off every week, and so to facilitate these kinds of things. So the, the, the business owner is communicating to his people, you matter to me, not just the service you provide me, but your life. I care about you as a person, and I don't want you to be stressed out. And whatever is possible financially, whatever can be done to make the workplace a little more... Um, conducive to a stress-free, now you'll never have a stress-free life, to just reducing the stress of of your workers. Um, That idea of caring about people outside yourself, it's not that hard to do. You just give it a little bit of thought. You look at companies that do this, and you say, well, they're big companies. Well, here's the question. Are they doing it because they're big, 
or did they become big because they're doing it? Our guest tonight is Roy Williams. We're talking about his book he co-authored with Michael Drew, Pendulum, How Past Generations Shape Our Present and Predict Our Future. Stay up on the latest business trends by going out to our website, biztalkradioshow.com, and listen to what the experts have to say about different elements of business, everything from marketing and sales, from personal growth to business growth, revenue and profits. It's all covered on our website at biztalkradioshow.com. Roy, I've noticed a trend in business where managers come together with their people to make a decision on the things they're going to do rather than dictating to them. Our people who work in interior design tell us that everything's gone to a more open, collaborative workspace rather than cubicles and offices. Is this trend of collaboration part of this we period that we're in? Absolutely. Um, those things always happen in a we, and they'll disappear in the me. I mean, it's, it's, this is astoundingly predictive. And I said, when you look back for the past 3,000 years of history, Jim, you'll find that what the society does, when I, say, when I say society, it's Western society. I'm not talking about the Eastern society of Asia and Africa. I'm talking about um, Europe, including Russia, uh, Europe, North America, and Australia, what we're calling Western society, the, the pretty much um, all the countries that were influenced by uh, ancient Israel, Greece, Rome, and then Great Britain. And that way of thinking of Western society is in this cycle. Asia, weirdly, Jim, is in precisely the opposite cycle. But this has been repeating, I mean, physically repeating for 3,000 years. It's amazing. So you're, what you're saying is Asia is right now in the me side of the equation. Absolutely. That, that and if you look at anything that's happening in China right now, it is currently in China, 1973. If you want to look at what's going to happen next, Look at what we were doing in 1973. I'll tell you what's hysterically funny. That whole thing, Gangnam Style, the Korean guy, you know, doing the funny little dance. Mm -hmm. Now, that happened at the halfway point of the upswing of the Asian me. Now, the halfway point of an upswing and the halfway point of the downswing of that same cycle, so 73 and 93, were both just alike. It begins in 63. 83 is the zenith. 73 is halfway up, 93 is halfway down. 73 and 93 will look and feel just alike. The music sounds the same. People dress kind of similar. Um, it gets more extreme at 83. But 73 and 93 will be a mirror of each other. So here's the craziness of it. The guy doing Gangnam Style, I'm sitting here looking at that, and I'm going, oh, my gosh. He wins, and he's appeared on the Grammys doing this. And I said, that's just, um, you can't touch this. That's MC Hammer. And I looked it up. MC Hammer was the halfway point of a knee. It was 1993. And so the halfway point of a knee, MC Hammer did it. And then the halfway point of the upswing of the Asian knee, you have this guy, Sai, who is doing basically Gangnam Style. And they both performed uh, the following year uh, as the, the keynote act on the Grammys. And they just kind of rocked all of society with this little crab walk dance and acting ridiculous. And so, whatever I say, if you want to know what's about to happen in Asia, if you're doing business over there, just buy a bunch of old magazines, watch a bunch of old TV shows to see what was popular in 1973 and 1993. And that will give you a real feel 
for Asia is, and then you can go a couple years beyond that and see where they're, where they're headed. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because it explains why people like Tony Robbins, the self-help guru, is really kind of waned in Western society. He has right. a huge market in Asia right now. Oh, and- yeah. All of the, all of the uh, you can be a winner, you know, believe yep. in yourself, anything is possible. All of the me language is super hot right now in China, all over Asia, and it's just deader than a bag of hammers in the U.S. Roy, does this explain why in America we would elect a president like Barack Obama? Absolutely. Now, remember, I'm not saying that you're going to elect a Democrat in a we. I'm absolutely positively not saying that. What I am saying is if uh, Mitt Romney was going to get elected, he needed to quit the chest thumping about, I am a leader, I am an entrepreneur, I am a whatever. And I'm saying it's very off-putting in a we cycle. If we were in a me cycle, he would have won hands down. But Barack Obama has an instinctive understanding of a we culture. His very first tweet after he was elected president, you know what it was? No. We did this together. Millions of people across America that participated in his campaign, he was on the news. His tweet was, we did this together. And so making sure that every member of the team um, feels recognized and included. Unbelievably important part of leadership in a we. And if you don't include your team, they'll think you're full of yourself and they'll bring you down from behind. And not to stay political on this, but I think it, it's probably the best example we can talk about right now between the two generations of me and we, is what we're seeing in some of the gridlock we're seeing in Washington is the generation of me politicians trying to understand why the we politicians want to go a different direction? That's, that's part of what's going on. Remember I told you at the zenith of the two previous me, right. uh, which was 83 and then 03, right. it was Reagan and Teddy Roosevelt. Guess who was the president at the zenith of the previous we? Abraham Lincoln. Hmm. Abraham Lincoln, president, 1863, the last zenith of a we. And so where we're headed is leadership Lincoln style. What I find interesting in, in your book, too, is that if you want to find out what period you're in, you said, uh, watch what McDonald's does in their ad slogans. Oh, yeah. So share that with our audience. It's just the most amazing thing. Um, The U.S. Army and McDonald's, uh, they will introduce a slogan, and the ones that work are the ones that reflect the perspective of the times. And in the swing of the me, the jingle was, you, you're the one, we cooked this burger for you, you, you're the one, it's all about you, you're the most special person who ever lives, come and get this burger today, and so you're just going, <laughs> you know, but now uh, the U.S. Army is saying, be all you can be, okay? Now, here's what's weird. When we kept into the we cycle, the U.S. Army came out with a slogan that said, an army of one, and it bombed. I mean, people quit signing up for the military, and it's kind of like they couldn't, they couldn't figure out why this was like hurting them. Well, they were in a we cycle, and they were focused on the individual, and people aren't looking for individual stature. They don't want to be singled out as the most important in a way. 
And so whenever people flounder around a little bit and something's not working, they usually stumble across the thing that will work. And I think in the book we have uh, historically all of the slogans of McDonald's and the U.S. Army and how they worked or didn't work based upon when they were introduced uh, in the knee cycle and in the knee cycle. Oh, yeah, when I read that in your book, I said, well, that this really all makes sense. When you when you lay out those time periods and you look at those slogans, it's like, wow. You know, it really reflected the times, as you talk about in your book. So, Roy, when you're working with a, a business owner today, what's the one piece of advice you're giving them? It's about the customer. It's not about you. You know, um, if, you, if you want to talk about yourself and your accomplishments and how unique and special you are, Call your mom. She cares. But if you want to get the customer's attention, you need to talk to the customer about the customer. You need to talk to them about their life, their family, the world. You need to talk to them about things that aren't focused on you, the advertiser. You want to focus on things outside the advertiser, and you want to spend your time, energy, your money talking about what it is you're trying to help facilitate. What are you trying to help create? Uh, one of my clients, Jim, was here yesterday. 1-800-GAP-JUNK is a client of mine. We do about $200 million a year in business. And have like 184 franchises. And they're also opening a couple of other companies, one of which is going to be a moving company called You Move Me. And um, there's another that's going to be a painting company that will come in and paint your house inside and outside in a day and change the colors to whatever, you know, lavish, amazing, sensual colors you want it to be. And so we were talking about the master brand. We were talking about what ties all these companies together. And I said, guys, your focus is very obviously helping families have a happier home. And when you come to the house and, you know, pick up all the junk, whatever it is you want to get rid of, just point. They'll load it up and haul it off. One eight hundred got junk. And I said, so giving them more space in their house so there's less clutter, or moving the the house from one location to the next with no stress whatsoever, um, or making the house more pleasant by painting it. I said, you guys don't even realize the only thing you care about is helping families have a happier home. And it, it hit them. They're going, wow, my gosh, that is exactly what we try to do. They just never put it into words before. And the reason I point that out, Jim, it is that perspective that has made them successful. They had the perspective. It has been reflected in everything they've ever done, but they never put it in words before. I just simply put it in words for them. They're going, wow, how did we not know that about ourselves? I said, because you're on the inside looking out. Now, anybody who doesn't have that perspective naturally, they need to adopt it. It's about the customer and their life. It's not about you and your accomplishments. We're talking with Roy Williams, founder of the Wizard Academy, best known for his Wizard of Addis trilogy of books, which all became national bestsellers. We're talking about his book he co-authored with Michael Drew, Pendulum, How Past Generations Shape Our Present and Predict Our Future. Roy, another BizTalk guest, Harry S. Dent, who follows population trends, claims that following that trend can help predict economic trends. Can you do the same by following these generational trends? I say... You cannot make economic predictions. You can make social predictions, but not economic predictions, uh, because 
the me or the we can be interpreted economically, positive or negative. What you're going to have is either a move toward individualization or a move toward collectiveness, but it doesn't necessarily have a direct effect on the economy. So, Roy, how do you think what we're talking about has impacted or changed the way that salespeople should be selling today? Oh, wow, Jim, that's a really (laughs) insightful question. You obviously already know the answer. Tell me what you think. Well, what I've noticed, Roy, is the shift from the owners and managers and VPs of sales that we work with are coming to us today and say, Jim, we don't need a product pusher. We need somebody who will go in and understand the client, will be able to make recommendations on things they don't see, and help them grow their business. And they're really struggling now because most of the people in the leadership role came from the product-pushing era. Right. And they generally have what I consider, or traditionally consider, better selling skills. And some of the people coming up who may be more intuitive to go in and talk to the customer don't necessarily have what we call those diehard selling skills. So they're, they're caught between a crossroad between hiring a really good salesperson versus somebody who will go in and understand the client and make recommendations. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this to you very succinctly. It may be the, most, uh, the shortest and most succinct answer I've been able to give you all day. But the real differentiator is this. Um, the best and most effective salesperson today will tell the client, the advertiser, the truth, even if it's not in their best interest. And if you want to be trusted as a salesperson, if you want to be considered a really sustaining resource, if you always want to be able to get in to see the decision-maker anytime you want to, that decision-maker needs to know that you're always going to tell them what you think is best for them, even if it's not what's best for you. And that is putting the customer first and putting the attention on the customer. Now they trust you. Now they believe in you. Now they listen to you. Now they make time for you. And now they're willing to try some things with you. And if you never try to bluff or cover things up or make excuses, but if you look at the client and tell the absolute truth and you say, yeah, I really thought that was going to work. It obviously didn't, you know, and they'll give you another shot. They love you. They just want somebody to be in their corner they don't want to be jousting or sparring with salespeople all day. Yeah, I think that's, that's good advice. The problem is, though, Jim, with management, it's really hard to get management to understand that the salesperson has to have the freedom to maintain personal integrity and straightforward honesty. Because to tell somebody, you know what I think you should do? In this particular instance, I actually think you ought to get this money and you should do this with this other seller. I think this, these other people actually fit the circumstance better than me. You say that to a client, you're going to get fired. Well, you mean you say that to your to your to your boss, you're going to get fired, right? Well, what I'm saying you say it to the client, and the boss finds out about it. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, he's going to say, "Hey, wait a minute! You're supposed to convince him to buy us. You're supposed to lie, buddy. You're supposed to lie." <laughs> you see the problem? Absolutely. Well, it's headed the direction you've just discussed, and either you get on board with it or or you don't get on board with it. So, Roy, was there a question today that I should have asked you that I haven't? No, I can't think of it, Jim. I think you're a fabulous interviewer. Well, thank you. And, Roy, uh, if people want to learn more, either about Pendulum or the Wizard Academy, where do they go? The book, Pendulum, uh, by Roy H. Williams and Michael Drew, is in bookstores everywhere in most airports. And then my, my co-author, Michael Drew, has a website called Pendulum in Action. 
and he does updates almost daily and uh, has all kinds of uh, supplemental education. He just got back from his second visit presenting at Harvard, Jim. He presented at Harvard Business School uh, about three months ago. It so freaked them out that the president of the student body asked him to come back. And on March the 9th, he presented to the entire student body at Harvard, Pendulum. And so Michael Drew, his website is Pendulum in Action. And uh, people should visit that site. There's a quote I want to share with the audience, and it's something I heard the other day. And the person said, the most important time in history is between your birth and today, because that's all you know. And what I appreciate about Pendulum is it gives us a broader perspective of some of the elements that are driving what's going on in society and growing on, going on in business. So, uh, Roy, very well done. Well, thank you, Jim. Um, keep up the great work. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. One last question. What's the one thing that has Roy excited about the future right now? Well, this is the year that we're finally finishing the campus at Wizard Academy. 32-acre campus, 12 major buildings that have been built through non-stop construction the past 12 years. And, Jim, this is the year that we're going to wrap it all up. And on October 4th, have the big celebration, and that's what I'm excited about, <laughs> the relief at being done. Yeah, if I wish I had the passion to do what you do in there because you do great work. And, and for our audience, if you've never been to Austin to attend one of Roy's programs or you've never been to Austin to see the campus, uh, you're really missing out. It is definitely worth your time and effort to get down to Austin and, and partake in one of Roy's programs. Pendulum is just the tip of the iceberg of his insights on not only helping you grow your business but also uh, helping you figure out how to market and work with people. So, Roy, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for being on the program. Thanks again, Jim. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, where you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, contact Performance Group by calling 800 950 9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.